Hey, Gary. Yes? Hey, do you want to do a podcast with me where we explore core topics? Oh, fuck yeah. Yes. Hey, and let's call it Queer Nundrum. Oh, my God. Yes. Awesome. Please listen carefully. Welcome to our show, Queer Nundrum. I am your host, Holly Greystone. And I am your other fabulous host, Gary M. Thorne Jr. Hello, sexy. So good to see you again. How are you doing and what are we talking about today? Well, we are actually going... Oh, first of all, good to always see you. Sorry. You are an amazing human being. Yes, striking poses over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. She just she looks she looks fabulous. Today. I don't. She looks amazing. Um, we are going to be talking about how bad the entertainment industry has in using queer coding and queer baiting. Right. And we will explain all those things to those of you who don't know. But it's super it's interesting. Be, yes. It's 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 embarrassing that this is still going on in 2021. Yes, absolutely. Love to j- jump into that conversation, but I want to hear about you first. Well, what actually, I was going to, if you wouldn't mind, I think okay. let's just change it up and let you talk first, if that's all okay. All about me? It's what? all Holly, Holly sweetness. We oh, always yes. have known yes. it's always about you. Tell me I more. mean, it's just, come on. Tell me, keep going. Yeah. All right. Oh, you're done? Right, oh. That's it. I'm I, I'm a gay man. That's the most you're getting out <laughs> That's of the most I'm going to get. All right. All right. Fair, uh, it's not about but... me, I lose interest really quick. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm finishing up a, a project. I'm doing a, a finishing up a drywall project. And today in particular, why I look so fabulous, this fabulous appearance was done in less than 30 minutes, fully showered, dressed, makeup and everything and out the door after I spent eight hours mudding and drywalling. I got home. I sold, I sold a house, signed the papers, and then I literally, I jump in the shower and I throw on this cute little outfit, my makeup to go out to a dinner date with my wonderful wife. We took our friend out for their birthday, which was, it was really nice to like put on lipstick and know that it wasn't going to be making out with the inside of my mask. And I actually got to like, let my lips breathe. Can we, like, can we say who it is? I mean, we're going to have to do the full name. Yeah. Our beautiful friend, Patty Green Kent. Yeah. Um, I mean, here's a. She has helped. She is like the best realtor in all of the in all of the Palouse area. Yeah, the Palouse area is kind of her like big area that she works in. Um, I bought my well, I don't. I didn't buy my first house from her, but Des bought her house, the current house that we're in from her. Uh, we sold property through her. You know, lots of friends and family who has sold through her or bought through her. She's fantastic. Goes the extra mile. Worth it. Um, really went the extra mile to help me with some things with the property I owned. And it's nice. It, it feels there's a, there's a sense of freedom, not having a piece of property. That's kind of, uh, just kind of hanging out there. And like, my goal is to be back on the West coast full time, especially for my wife. So she could do costume designing full time. And there's just more businesses on the West side and, and production companies on the West side than there is in the middle of Washington. There's just nothing there. 
And well, you're to, not even in the middle of Washington. No, not really. In, yeah, I'm the, really not in the middle of Washington. <laughs> I'm in the bottom far right hand corner of Washington. But in order to get here, you have to fly to one of the major cities and then take a small airplane into the airport. And then after that, you have to spend 30 minutes driving out to the house. So if you own a property out there and you have any sort of maintenance repair, you have to drive 30 minutes back into town to get any tools and supplies to go back. There's no cell service. It just wasn't worth it. It's just not worth the income from that. No. So after some meditation and discussions, we've decided that we will go ahead and sell that property. And it was bittersweet. It was my first house. I got it just after a terrible, terrible breakup with my fiance back then. I had I had nothing to my name. I had to beg for a car because I just I had nothing. And my work at the time, Schweitzer Engineering, had a Roth IRA program where you can actually withdraw money to put down on a house if it was your first house and your main residence. So that was my case. I was able to do that. And it was a little piece of history that I had to let go. Um, I just remember five years ago, I had, I had nothing and no money. And I was able to pay off all my debt by buying this property. I was a, I only had to pay $400 a month in mortgage. So I had a healthy paycheck going to pay down all my debt, which was fantastic. And so it's a, a chapter in my life that's closing and I feel really good about it. So even though we were celebrating Patty's birthday, I felt like we're also, I felt a little bit like I was, I needed to celebrate like my transition in my life and kind of recognize my young, young self now has kind of has grown and matured in a way that I'm very proud of. Um, so, yeah, and I'm going to say that's also if you don't, I think that's also when you and I became. Yes, that's when we started to become really good friends during that. Same yes, time frame, so. it was just before the breakup uh, yeah. with the with my fiance then at the time. And we shall remain was, nameless always. And they were jealous of you and not because of like the typical, Oh, you're hanging out with a man. Like are you into him because you were my friend and you were nice and wanted to hang out with me. Yeah. Like just <laughs> the stupid controlling things that relationships can sometimes bring about. Yeah. Um, I leave for Hawaii in a couple of days. <laughs> I have never been to the beautiful state of Hawaii. I'm excited. I've been reading up on history and like just some of the celebrations that the Hawaiian uh, culture uh, has to offer. And I really want to be, I really, when I travel, I try to ex- ex- respect the culture, whether it's a different state or country, I try to respect that the, the areas that I'm going into. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm just so pumped to just be at the ocean and relax. I will be doing a little bit of work while in there. Uh, but I enjoy my work so much, so it's not going to feel like I'm taking away, uh, my vacation by doing that, but I'm, I'm excited and nervous because there's a lot of packing and there's a lot of COVID regulation stuff that we have to have checked off. We have to do our COVID test uh, here in a little bit to make sure that we are good. We have to have the 72 hour test. Um, and that has to be submitted to the state of Hawaii before we even board the plane. Plus, and are you, yeah. are you still quarantined when you go to Hawaii or do you get, as long as you're no, free, that's, you're good. So the state of Hawaii has, you, you can apply for an exemption and the exemptions include you have your vaccine. You're two weeks out from that vaccine, uh, your second dose of that vaccine. Uh, you and you have to do a, ne- a 72 hour negative COVID test. Okay. So if you have those things, you can apply on the state website. And so when you land, you basically have like a, a card that says that you checked all the boxes and you can you're free to move about the country. Or in this case, the state. Um, 
but yeah, it's just, it's different. Last time I traveled, I didn't have to get my temperature checked by TSA and I wasn't wearing a face mask and I wasn't, you know, it's a very different experience that we're going in. So I'm a, there's a little bit of nervousness, but it should be fine. But I'm really excited. And our it, puppies. You'll, you'll have fun. We get our puppies really soon. So excited. I finally, I have picked out a name. You ready? Okay. Okay. Mumbles Tenacious D Greystone. So Mumbles. Okay, cool. Yeah, Mr. Mumbles. I it's going to be Mumbles. I kept his name, but t- he was he failed out of his test uh, because he was too tenacious. And so I have Tenacious D's uh, drive-through song playing in my head when I think about him. It's fantastic. So Bon Bon, is it a male or a female? Both are males. Name him something else then. Just Del Desiree. It's, it's Bon Bon Jovi Greystone. And it's, it's just, it's fine. no. Just leave no, it. Leave it. No judge. Go. How are you doing? Desiree. I'm actually <laughs> doing great. Um, I actually just got back from a walk with uh, uh, Chris, who she's the person who's helping us with some of the new things we're doing on our podcast with your your news. Shout and, out. Um, whoop, whoop. Helping uh, me. The For those of you who've seen our blog, it will be better. Um, we're, it's a, it's going to be a better blog, but we're, and I'm working on that part of it. So yeah. went out on a walk. I just needed to go on a walk to get my head clear, get ready to talk to this wonderful person who I'm looking at. So, Aww. um, and did that, and, um, had a good day. Uh, I went in and worked for a little bit, not a long day. That's the joy of salary. Monday, I kicked my ass and did like a 12 hour day today. I did a five hour day. So that made up all the difference. In sure. The world. Yeah. I mean, balance it out. Oh yeah, so it's like that. I am so having a really great day. I did. I went to the going into the grocery store, city market today, and um, I very excited. Uh, if you follow me on Facebook or Twitter, you now know that I'm at two four two hundred and forty three pounds, which is the lowest I've weighed since my early thirties. Mm. And um, I was walking into city market day. And all of a sudden had to grab a hold of my shorts because they were about to fall off. Oh my so, gosh, you and your clothes wanting to abandon. Come on. Well, you know, it's just like, so I had to, literally had to stop everything and retie my pants and so make them a little bit tighter. So, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. so that was great. Um, but that's really, that's been, you know, I'm just doing that because if I don't have to go to Hawaii, you know, but, you know, so I'm just, so I don't have that kind of great stuff. Just, I'm enjoying my life and working on the, um, the, the big thing for me right now, and I can't wait for you guys to see it is, uh, when I put out the new blog, it, it'll be a really, I'm excited. It's going to be, a, it's going to be a really good one. I'm asking for no critiques, just saying how wonderful it is. Cause this is going to be very personal. So just sure. everybody, please just no critiques on this one. You, you might damage me. My soul is going out on this one. So, but that's sort of where I'm at. Um, and so did we want, do you think we want to get going talking about this yeah. wonderful experience we're say, having? Why don't you take a, take us into it? I'll, I, yeah. I'm really excited to, this is something that was new to me just to kind of give our, our listeners a FYI. I didn't realize that these were terms once I was just like anything, right? That's just part of why we do these podcasts is like we learn a little bit and we realize there's words and there's meaning and there's things that are happening. And you're like, oh, I've always known that, but I didn't know how to name and this is one of those things for me. I didn't know about these words, queer coding and queer baiting and, and how that was being played out, especially on the, on the, on the main stage of social media and TV and all that. 
So I, I found it very interesting when one of our listeners had shared with me a young, a young listener um, who has just come out as pansexual to their parents and was just kind of sharing like a little bit of their story uh, around the table with the rest of the family. And um, we were talking about the podcast and they had mentioned and said, Hey, did you, have you heard of this? And we had a, a wonderful conversation. And then it dawned on me, we should talk about it here on the show. Gary loved the idea. We decided we would also add uh, queer coding on top of that. So, um, well, and she's being very nice. I have to say that we originally was going to be queer baiting as, as I'm doing the research more, I go, okay, Hal, you, you, you've got the queer bait because this queer coding it's huge when you talk about it too yes. so she just literally last minute i'm just telling her last <laughs> we're minute, gonna do guys. this thing i'm yeah so i, I go yeah i decided i'm gonna talk about queer coding and then you can go into queer baiting sorry love you Here's pretty the much <laughs> pretty much but this is an example of just conversations we take from the public and and bring it here to share with the rest of you guys so yeah gary gear bag <laughs> take us in baby and so, like you said, I'm going to be talking about queer coding, and then we'll get into the queer baiting with Holly. Um, queer coding has been going on in Hollywood since the 1920s. Okay, so there's been things going on, but uh, and what queer coding means is basically taking a big stereotype like an effeminate man, which Holly will get into more, an effeminate man or a very strong quote unquote butch woman and making and making that the, the stereotype of this person without ever saying they're queer. Right. But making this person that and so that was queer coding because you deal with the Hayes commissions and which was a big thing, which they the Hayes was the big thing that did all the movies uh before the rating system took over with the G, PG, PG 13, all this stuff. Hayes oh. did all this shit. Okay. So um, they were the ones who Hayes said you can't have, they did not, you couldn't have two people in bed together. Oh, yeah. They always had to, to be like one foot on the ground. Yeah. One foot on the floor. So you couldn't have sex, which I'm going to say I've proven it, that wrong. I, you can do that still? Yeah, yeah. So you can, you can, you can have sex with it with one foot on the floor still. Sometimes it makes it even more fun. Um, but so. <laughs> Queer coding, I is, about you. So <laughs> queer coding is when certain stereotypes determine that that someone is queer. And like I said, like the effeminate man or the butch woman, it is never said that they're queer, but you just start to assume they are queer. The worst of this was assuming a queer man or sometimes queer wo woman were evil. They killed people and assumed they killed them because they were queer. You see this in a lot of examples. The big one, the big one is Anthony Hopkins, not Anthony Hopkins, sorry, oh, Anthony God. Perkins. There you go. In Psycho. He wanted to be his mom. It's assumed that he was gay because he wanted to be close to his mom. The stuff about, uh, you know, son is supposed to respect his mother and he ends up dressing like her because he wants to be here. So it's assumed by everybody throughout history that Norman Bates was queer. Really? Yeah. Because I never picked that up. Uh, um, and so that's, and that's, and actually, if you look into stuff, Alfred Hitchcock was really going for that concept too. I mean, he wanted, okay. Alfred Hitchcock was always trying to break stereotypes. 
and sure. the time I mean, that it makes, was it makes a it makes for a good yeah. storytelling if you can do it well and if you look at even he um in a couple of his other movies strangers on a train which it is it's a that's a great one it's 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 become a trope but it was really the first one to do it where two people meet on a train they find out they both hate the significant other in their life and they make a pact to kill the other person for them so there's no connection yes that is a and so story. there's actually some huge undertone gay undertones in that one another really good one which isn't known but i wanted to bring it up here is shirley mclean played a character named martha in a very underappreciated movie called the children's hour it's her and audrey hepburn in this movie they play uh matrix of this all-girls school this one girl comes out and says that Shirley MacLaine's character, Martha, did some inappropriate stuff to her, and it basically ruins her life, uh, ruins uh, Martha's life. And come to find out, she actually, she never says the word lesbian. I don't think I know. Hurts. But she does come out how that she is a terrible person because she, she has, quote unquote, feelings for Audrey Hepburn's character. And it ends up being then what happens to her at the end of the movie is she is so racked with guilt for everything that's happened. She kills herself. She hangs herself at the end of the oh movie. Oh my gosh. I haven't um, seen this. No. And it's, you wouldn't have, cause it's never been advertised and it's, it's, it's a, from 1962. So it's a very old movie. Um, there is the one that most people other than psycho that would know is uh, silence of the lambs, Ted Levine's character, Buffalo bill wants to kill women and take their skin to make himself to, uh, to make himself a woman. Oh, yeah. And, and he's gay, you know, well, we're assuming he's gay. We're assuming right. We he's assume that there's some sort of, yeah. It's all the stuff you don't ever know that there, even that one famous scene where you see him doing the pose, the pose. and he's got his junk covered up by his legs. So he looks kind of female. You know, yeah. his arms are spread out like that. So you're assuming things. And this is exactly where queer coding goes. They do this shit to say, look, they're queer. Right. Look how- Without actually say, well, and that, and okay. So do me a favor and clarify how, what the difference is between coding and baiting. Um, so coding is they never come out and say anything. Baiting is more where they say, look, this is going to happen here. We're going to have right. a kiss between these two men. Queer coding is just, it's an assumption that's made the way they really put it towards it. Right. Queer baiting is the next, that's why we started with it's this the next going level. To queer baiting. It's the next Because exam. it's the next yep. step that's happening. Um, and I'll try to keep quiet when you're talking about queer baiting, but I may no, end up I want, stuff, so. I want you to join in the conversation <laughs> because I think it's important for us to really dive into the intricacies of, of these two different, because they are very similar in their practice, but there, there really is, it's an evolution from coding to the baiting aspect of it. Oh. And I, I, to me, I feel like, and we'll kind of discuss it a little bit, but I feel like there, there, there's a potential for harm. And oh, I, no, there is. There is. Oh yeah. We'll get, but let, we'll get, oh, let's, we'll, you we'll finish. Me, we'll get there. Oh no, you're finish good. This is, this is, this is what, this is, this is our dynamic, honey. So <laughs> um, one of the most famous things of, of queer coding is in 1940s movie Rebecca um, it's basically the 
the character is Mrs. Danvers. She's played by an amazing character actress named Judith Anderson. Uh, I'm not going to give the whole story of it, but she is basically plays a domineering woman, uh, Mrs. Danvers, who is trying to break up Rebecca and her boss's marriage. And if and it's t- entirely the way the actress played the part of Mrs. Danvers that you very much get the impression she was in love with Rebecca. Okay. And by this point, in the, when the movie starts, Rebecca's not there. You, so this is, you're trying to find out what happened to Rebecca. And so this is, it's, it's an amazing piece of acting that I think everybody should watch. It's, it's film noir. And those of you who don't know film noir, I can't talk to you guys anymore. But no, so <laughs> don't it's, just it's, own him. He's, he's like this all the yeah. time, guys. Just we'll let him have it. Um, yeah. So, and this, all this wonderful stuff, mo- honestly, most of it, I already knew, but getting this from IMBD and from uh, Wikipedia, that part of it. Um, I then, uh, got into a little bit more with the queer coding, um, off of YouTube, uh, one that's called queer coding explained hidden in plain sight. And it's from the take the little mermaid. What? Um, the Little Mermaid. Think about this when I say right. it. Ursula. They used the drag queen Divine as their inspiration. Oh. And this is stuff that um, Alan Rankin wanted. Now that you mentioned wanted it. The, yeah, wanted, wanted this stuff. Okay. Uh, then in Beauty and the Beast, several things in this one. Belle is shunned for not following social norms. Gaston is a personification of toxic masculinity with the looks of a fitness queen and the misogyny of a frat bro. I mean, because he's always like, he's, you know, he's, he's big and he works out like a lot of gay men do. He shows his hair. Uh, Every last inch of me is covered in hair. I mean, that's, that's the hairy bear syndrome. Okay. I mean, hell, when I first saw I, this I, I movie, wouldn't know that because I'm not, like, I'm not a gay man. So I just, yeah. it's not something I think about. No, but... I mean, you're good. No, you're good. Oh, I know uh, I am. <laughs> uh, LeFou, his sidekick. Oh, yes. I mean, one of the biggest, one, yeah. one of the biggest tropes they use is the queer, the sidekick sycophant who loves them, will do anything for them. Everything. I'm not talking about the new movie. I'm talking about the cartoon. Showing how that you know he he loves him would do anything for him and he does will do anything for him he lets him beat the shit out of him in the movie yeah because you know and this is one of the big tropes that they do with queer coding is they make the best friend who doesn't have a girlfriend and never like is going after the women is the huge I love that term sycophant who is there for them and will do Better anything way. for them and let them treat them like shit and is kind of effeminate but you know this is one of the big tropes they've used for years to say oh they're special that oh this one it didn't occur to me till i heard it the song kill the beast was written as an allegory for homophobia and aids panic i don't know the song. and if you're thinking about it you everybody when you get done with this podcast first thing you do is get on youtube and listen to the song Kill the Beast from Beauty and the Beast, and you'll go, oh, oh my God. 
Oh, the song. Yeah. From. Yeah. Oh, my yeah, gosh. it is completely. And so it's all. And this is and this is from the writer of it, the creator of this. Uh, he did all this stuff on purpose. He was doing this as allegories and using the queer coding because he wanted to get Disney more into at the time, the 90s. But then I have John Ratcliffe from Pocahontas. Oh, my God. So effeminate. I mean, it's not even a question. And of course, this is the one guy, this really feminine guy basically destroys all of native america another yeah, another another, another, another demonization. trope yeah right there um the lion king scar he's smart evil but weak he even talks about at one point he's too weak to he could not be in a fight and realizes he could never be king because of all these things going on until he gets the evil and gets all the people behind him because he's smart so he knows how to grab these people and he has no problem killing his brother and another queer coding all these people that are evil you know queer people are evil they don't mind getting rid of rid of whatever's in their way this is all disney well disney and these are saying these are movies i i other than pocahontas which i never liked but the other ones i love these movies right and to hear that going that makes sense all this, I mean, so so many things. Well, yeah, on. you got the princess movies where women are being kissed without consent, like which, and then you have Frozen, which is another one that does the queer coding. She can't touch anybody, hides who she is, doesn't want telling her, telling people, "Don't get near me. I don't want to change you." I mean, this is all queer coding, you know. So that I, one I can see a lot, a lot more clear than some of the other yeah. examples that you've listed. Part of it is the most recent one you've seen, and it's that one was much more out there because they're you know they're going. Yeah, going they for, were going for that. One of the interesting things going through all this is Doris Day and Rock Hudson did three movies together that were very, very sweet romantic comedies, but considered very sexy. And as people know now, he was a very deeply closeted gay man who ended up dying of AIDS. The ironic part about it, the sidekick in all three of the movies they did together was another actor named Tony Randall. Very straight man in every way, shape, and form. And actually married a woman when he was 78 and she was in her 20s. And they had two, two more kids. So in almost all, in every one of the three movies that they did together, plus a lot of other Hollywood movies he did in the 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. he played that fastidious man the best friend who had no interest in women. I mean, and so I think it's hilarious that then we have this very reverse thing that this right. one guy who is very manly and that is closeted, severely closeted. Another guy is actually a very straight man, but playing all these queer roles. For those of you who don't know who Tony Randall is, he was, um, he was Oscar in the original version of the odd couple of the TV series. So most queer coding happened in the fifties and sixties when I mean, when most when most queer people will say that's when the worst stuff was happening to us. Um, Hayes Code was in full force. That's when we said the no double beds. Always keep one foot on the floor. Literally said, it said in the thing, no gay people, no homosexuals. I have here saying no, no queer people. Some of the coding to look for in this time period. Confirmed bachelors maiden aunts people who you know 
you know, oh, we don't have sex. We've never been married, but we're in our seventies or fifties and I've, and have never, never been married. You know, that says, you know, this is what, where the coding went. Okay. Um, one of the big things that men were gay, overreacted and emotional. They, I see that I watched this one scene that showed this guy losing it because this, uh, his friend was letting a woman leave his, his house after, you know, this is the walk of shame morning. Oh, and gotcha. she accidentally knocked over some of his, get this petunias in a garden. <laughs> and he literally shrieked, Oh my God, you're ruining my garden. Just, it goes off, you know, and showing that, you know, obviously that he was one, he wanted to be the one that was in there with his friend. Women wearing pants. <laughs> I go, I get women don't wear pants look at marlena dietrich she wore pants Catherine Hepburn wore pants they are considered everybody assumes that they were gay that they were queer because of these reasons they acted masculine they were forthcoming women and where this all leads to then is uh keeping in mind this still goes on today along with the queer bang which holly is going to talk about yep there is still all the time they use these tropes to show an effeminate man is almost always gay. A strong woman who is athletic, you can almost bet at some point you're going to find out she's a lesbian. This is what they do. Mm -hmm. It's not actually, ironically, the one area where it's not near as bad now is in the transgendered community where that really they've they've gotten away from those tropes. They're not, they're really because people have been so vocal, they're not near about making I'm poor transgender people in the 70s were just, they were always the killer and ended up being they were the killer. So now I'll let you talk about queer baiting. There's so many things <laughs> I want to say on that topic, but I want to oh, I want to no, I, because if I if I do that, basically I, I want to I want to be upset and angry about the harm that's being done by doing that, but I really want to give a little more information on the queer baiting. So queer baiting is basically, it's a, it's a marketing technique, uh, much like what Gary's talking about, except for this is actually intentionally manipulating the market using LBGTQ hints and cues and stuff like that to depict same sex romance or some sort of rep representation uh, in an effort to attract bait a queer or straight ally audience with the suggestion of a relationship or a character in that story that might appeal to them while at the same time avoiding and alienating other consumers. So there's, they're, they're trying to be super edgy and cool by jumping on this bad wagon. So queer baiting has been popular really since the early 2010s, um, when this this is where we start to see it one in particular example that i'll, I'll get to here in a second is sherlock holmes uh, but i also want to talk about a few other examples from my childhood that i think play into this too um one, one of them you're going to talk about it is it's one of, it, it is truly, it is it is truly yeah. so what we saw in the early 2010s is a lot of companies like Starbucks, Ben and Jerry, Tylenol and other big names out there have been showcasing queer people and families in their advertising in attempt to normalize and increase awareness around the queer community. 
which is great. We want that. Um, and through that greater awareness, we saw a more positive that like that would be like a positive queer baiting because that's you saw a lot of people showing up in support and buying those products and showing affirmation towards that. Well, now it has turned into a spending power that is a you that is basically using and manipulating the queer community, much like the pink tax, like selling pink products at a higher cost because women are going to buy them. They're advertised toward women. They're no different than the male product, but because they're pink, the pink tax, tampons get taxed more over condoms. It's things like that that become like the quote pink tax. And you guys don't get pockets. And we Sorry. don't get, we get small enough pocket to put like a tiny little bullet yes. tampon in there. It's like your lipstick in your lipstick. My li- oh, that's what it's for. Oh, lipstick or a pocket knife. I don't know. I just, <laughs> just so lame. I love beta brand because they have made pockets legit. Um, so queer baiting has just basically become this commodity. And it has, I think it has actually just on, on the queer coding, I think it's now starting, if not already harming our society. It's fun as we evolve as a community, when you're first get, like showing queer representation in shows and you're not really sure how it's going to present or how to approach it. Maybe you're, you're a heteronormative individual and you're trying to put queer content out there and you don't know how to quite do it yet. And you're playing around with suggestive content in your story. I'm, I I can see that. But now at this point in 2021, we need to stop doing that because now we're starting to create a a more advanced form of coding where we are misleading people to believe that something's going to happen when it's not going to happen. And there's a fine, there's a fine art to the art of the storytelling. Like there's, I love a good story that wants to challenge the normative or um, I don't know. What do you, what do you, uh, the example I'm trying to think of is like, you might think like, oh yes, that little girl's not going to be super strong and save the whole world. And it turns out like, yeah, she's going to be, she is super strong. She's going to say, I like something that's not a predictive thing, but I don't like it when we are taking these superficial stereotypes of queerness and, and only using it as a dramatic effect and not anything more developing from that. So one of the first things that um, came up when I was looking into this, and I absolutely agree with this. I didn't realize how big of an issue this was, but the British TV show Sherlock in 2013, um, Holmes was getting married to um, another character in the show, Mary. And apparently the internet just blew up. They were pissed because for the three years that it has been on, there was a lot of like bromance and suggestive relationships and language and dialogue between the two of them. And, and it's been going on, that's been going on for ages, but really the show has painted this picture of like, I just want to make sure, is it, was it Holmes or Watson getting married? Sorry, Watson. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. John Watson getting married to, to Mary. Thank you. And uh, people were actually writing hate mails to the actress and to the writers of the show because they were messing with this queer representation, this queer baited relationship that basically the show had accidentally or maybe intentionally created through their their dynamics in that relationship between those two actors. And go ahead. So I think I I think it's a combination of both those because. 
I think they did. The two of them together have an amazing chemistry. I love the show. They really do have great chemistry. I do think, though, that if you, from years ago with all the books and everything, there's always been that a little bit of... So it's not... It just, I think I, I this think TV series it. captured it so well because yeah. of how well these actors. Well, and they're both together. hot looking men. And so, I mean, that, they're that hot looking hurt. men. There's, yes. And so, I think at, when you create content like that without really thinking about how it's affecting that community, you get these, you get, you get pissed off fans. Uh, so I thought that was super interesting. Um, one of the examples that I wanted to share, well, Actually, I'll share a recent one, which is what, what we did on our show, Supergirl. We have yeah. two perfectly good examples of queer baiting in there. You have the one right off the bat, season one, you have uh, Kara, who's, uh, who is Supergirl. She has a best friend named Quinn, and he is the quintessential. Win. I'm sorry. It's Win. Win. Sorry. It's okay. You um, got to deal with the nerd here. Yeah. Metrosexual man. <laughs> Very prim and proper. Everything is got bright and colorful. Hair is in the right place. Even his mannerisms are suggestive of being a, a, a gay man. Yeah. And then you find towards the end of the episode, he or into the uh, season one, he actually has a major crush on her. Major crush on her. And not only does the the actress is thrown off by that because, or sorry, Kara is thrown off by that because I think she played it off like, oh, I thought you were gay too. Like that's the feeling I got when she reacted to when coming out. To, and actually, I, I've got to on that. I got to. I I I don't. I don't disagree with you. I'm saying that I love the fact they never made her shocked or. No, it wasn't anything. shocked. It was just yeah. like she truly didn't even. It wasn't even on her radar that that this yeah. had a major crush on her. Yeah. Everything he was doing was indicative of a major crush. If you remove the lens that he is a queer man, and he's not. He is a, he he's not a queer man in the show, but they really convince you of it. And then in season two, Supergirl's sister is a lesbian and she comes out. Now, in that case, I would say I did not feel like I was straight baited in that case, because I think that captured more of a realistic storyline. Do you not agree? Do you agree? Alex. It's Alex. Alex. Her name is Alex. Oh my I'm God. Sorry. You're such a dork. <laughs> Alex. I said, God, Kara's people sister. don't kill me Alex. for correcting her. I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this guy. But I felt like with her storyline, it, it they really, that was more of a mature way of handling a storyline of the queer community where, yeah, this is what coming out could look like. This is a, yeah. the real struggle and feelings and stuff like that. And I didn't feel like they were forcing a straight relationship in, in, in an effort to force a, a sexual identity on her. Whereas I feel like with when they did, I feel like they forced some sort of version of sexual identity by utilizing queer coding to bait us into believing that and then not deliver that. Okay, so and here's my thought on that one, and, and I'm probably so beyond wrong. I'm going to pause this podcast. No, okay. <laughs> and you can't. I personally, in my feeling, everything they're going was making him gay. And my feeling, I could be entirely wrong. I just feel that either the suits at CBS, because it was it was at CBS at that point. True. Uh, or it could have been the actor playing when said no i don't this is i don't want to go that route i personally think cbs said you're not going to make this guy gay yeah. i and i might be entirely wrong and that, but that's might, what I think. that might be because yeah. it was set up for a perfect story you really felt like you had 
another layer of identity on this character. Because and you do see the just, lingering looks tell of him Kara until the very end of that season. Uh, yeah, and it's really. like all of a sudden it does a, a 180 on you and you're like, wait, what? What's happening? And so here I'm gonna nerd out bad for a minute. Sorry. Okay. Is that nerd we out. have the guy playing Wynn was actually on another series Smash. And he and he played a gay character on that show. He had no problem playing a gay character on that show. Okay. So I really think it's I I just feel it was CBS who said oh, no, we're not doing this. And I again I could be wrong, could be. but that's my feeling. It could be. So All basically, right. we're seeing queer baiting as is a marketing technique for fiction entertainment, in which the the creators uh, they're doing something, but not actually depicting same sex romance or some other representation. But they do attempt to bait you into believing that, so you then put your money and your time, your energy into that. One of the earlier ones, which was not in 2000, Xena Warrior Princess, 25, 20, I think we're probably up to 26 years now when that aired. Gosh, it was forever. It's been been a while ago. It's been a long time. I grew up loving this show. Now, I believe that this is a show that is in the in the queer verse for sure right off the bat season 1 episode 3 we already have some d- suggestive dialogue between Gabrielle and Zena um about her breasts being dangerous enough to kill and we have the kiss in season we have multiple kisses that they one of which was at the end of season one episode 21 then you have another one in season two episode 13 and there are 10 other episodes that clearly lay that out in more detail versus the majority of that whole tv show was a lot of suggestive queer relationship there and i thought for the longest time they would hook up and i was disappointed after years of them not getting together but i have to tell you as a as a woman who didn't know she was gay i she was my crush. She was my first before Janeway. Well, Loved was, Lucy Lawless. Still do. Still do. And I, I, I also can say that is that, and if you read any of the articles on the writers, they they were doing it on purpose. Oh yes, it was and intentional. Well, and the creators, I do believe, said that they always left it open ended because they didn't ever want to actually then say that this is the only way to go. Which was stupid. By the end of it, I as a gay man wanted these two to get together. It, you know, and it was just it was, so good. It's like, yeah, and, they, and they talk about chemistry. So, yes. Uh, they're can also, we say, huh? Oh, I just wanted to also say at this point how wonderful it is that Lucy Lawless and I forgot the other actress's name, but how wonderful they are. And they've been very Renee good O'Connor. for There we go, Renee O'Connor. And if I was going to pick one to be Renee O'Connor, I thought she was so adorable. I just but, uh, love Lucy Lawless. I like uh, And I, I do too. She, and she's, but I love the fact that both of them are so against Kevin Sorbo. Oh my you know, who's <laughs> yes. they they have they have made fun of him so many times for the way he's he's become, you know, he's a Trump supporter and shit. And so I am so thrilled because as a gay man, I should have loved Hercules. I never did that show. I mm. and now I feel very justified in my reason. Yeah, right. Especially coming from the two yes. of them. I just like but for I mean so, for me that ne- I never found him mm, but then again, he's yeah. not my demographic, so. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, I went off. Sorry. Sorry, no, folks. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. I just, uh, check out um, the avclub.com, 10 episodes of Xena Warrior Princess. 
it, they list out a wonderful uh, lineup of all the episodes kind of highlighting the kisses, which I, I'm looking at some of these right now and I'm like, Oh God, I remember when they kiss. I just remember loving that. Now, I, that now go ahead. Oh, but no, isn't that wonderful that yeah. they, they had those kisses and that you very much got the impression they loved each other. We yeah. have no idea where it went to, but I do appreciate that, that they loved each other. You know, and, they and it did. feels very normal. Like yeah. I, like I said in previous podcasts, I never felt like queer was bad. My church taught me that. And if, you know, kids being kids will say stupid things, but never thought that. And I always thought like when I saw Xena, I was like, oh my gosh, I hope they get together. Never believed that that would be a bad thing or wrong. And I still today, I want them to get together. If they can make another go at it. I, I would really appreciate it. <laughs> Just love to see that storyline happen. But that was, that was a childhood one of mine that I thought, yeah, there's some, there's a lot of queer baiting in that uh, intentional in, in the way they did it. Like they know they did it and they did it to leave it open. And I appreciate that they didn't add, uh, you know, they all, bo- they both run off and get married and have heteronormal relationships or anything like that. They just left it open because they have done so much queer baiting that by the time you do that, you're going to end up with a Sherlock's 2013 situation where people are going to be pissed that you did that. I, I do like how they did also though. They showed them having at least flirtations with men. Yes. You know, so they, they really showed, I, I mean, we might want to consider them very pansexual because, you know. Absolutely. Or bi. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's, you know. I feel like there's a fine line that people have to walk, especially now with how more aware we are as a society. Yeah. Um, representation of all people is important. And there are some, there are some minority groups that have got little stage time at all and should certainly have more recognition in, in mainstream media. I think going forward as people like Billie Eilish doing, doing things like creating, I don't know, a music video with a bunch of girls and dancing around and doing sexy poses and being super cute and flirty and having fun, which is my kind of slumber party, which is basically what this music video is, is basically it's, it's a slumber party that she's having. It's called lost cause. And she's having, so she's having a slumber party with a bunch of girlfriends. And basically the social media world just the other day blew up on her and said that she was queer baby because it's the way it was done. was very suggestive leaving people to ask is Billie Eilish bi? Is she gay? What is she doing? One in particular said, she is acting sexual with these girls in order to draw more of an audience. Gross. So here's my counter to that particular individual. Would that be okay if she was doing this with a bunch of men acting super sexual? Guarantee that comment would not come out. But because and also she'd, she'd become a slut. You know, she'd be a be slut, the, right? She'd yeah. be tagged a slut. But here she is. She's doing this with a bunch of girls. They're dressed in very form-fitting outfits. I think it's super cute. I don't I don't quite see the queer baiting in it. I think she probably is on the spectrum. I don't know. And um, I, I see the queer baiting. I do, but I'm I also don't think it's an issue when you get when you have how many, you know, you have all the and I'm 
bad with names on this stuff, but like the rap musicians who have women with their butts hanging out and yeah. covering their boobs and treating them like sexual objects. And just all these yeah. inappropriate things. But here we have a yeah. woman who's doing that and she's getting yeah. she's getting this backlash. And the reason I bring it up is because ne- this term is starting to pick up a lot more in social oh, media. Yeah. And it's starting to be used, I think, in more of a negative connotation against maybe a, a, a innocent slumber party, maybe not so innocent slumber party. I don't think it's an innocent slumber party. I, I think I you maybe know. can't I, get too far. You, know, yeah, you, know, know you can take it so far. Um, I will say that Procter and Gamble, uh, they have found that 81% of advertisers currently are concerned about being perceived as authentic when creating LBGT campaigns and not being tagged for queer baiting. And good. Uh, they're, they're trying to avoid queer baiting and the use uh, and use their reach to create content that drives meaningful impact, which I think is fantastic. I mean, 81% of companies are striving to do that. That's fantastic. Um, I think we just need to be careful about how, uh, how we use that term. And again, words matter. I will say that if you want to read some more on this, you go to yahoo.com back uh, forward slash lifestyles slash Billie Eilish is accused of queer baiting. And there's an awesome little like blurb in there about Xena and Gabrielle on Xena warrior princess. And it's great. And you should totally check it out. I won't go into it here because I really want to get into uh, just yelling in general. Can I add one more? I can ask you about one more queer baiting thing. Yeah. Because, okay, so when I was first doing looking at the queer baiting thing, I, the one of the things that came up on my, when I'm looking at stuff is Harry Potter queer baiting, the series oh. Harry Potter. And so literally, yeah. I wondered, so I wrote, because I started going, please, um, I, that's a good one. Yeah. And I love this. Believe it or not, it does. Harry Potter queer baits. J.K. Rowling, you know, our favorite person to talk about, oh my goodness. has said after the fact that Dumbledore is gay <laughs> and he had a romantic relationship with Grindwald. Rowling says the relationship was intense and passionate, but in none of the books or movies Rowling is associated with have any of this. So you have to wonder if Rowling put so much thought into Dumbledore and Grindwald's backstory, why isn't in any of the Harry Potter Fantastic Beast series? Uh, so Rowling is the perfect example of queer baiting, yep. letting the queer community think that something is queer, but is really not. It is hurtful to all queer people. Agreed. I feel that. Agreed. There's, and that's that's the negative side to the queer coding and the queer baiting that I'm going that I really wanted to kind of yell about is we yeah. have we are already a minority. We're already have we already have discrimination within our own group. And we have discrimination within our own communities that we exist in. So why why do that kind of harm? Now, I know these are probably not queer people specifically doing this, but it need, either way, it needs to stop. And queer people need to say something. Allies need to stand up and say something. And we just need to do a more creative way. Like, get creative, people. It, you can do it. You don't have to just fall for this low ball BS stuff to try to get our dollars and support like J like JK Rowling. She was a fairly new writer. She was trying to get her product out there. She had some support in the queer community. She started getting, I'm sure got, got wind of like, Oh, is he queer? Is he not? And then she probably made up the story. Cause I certainly have not picked up any of that in the books, but in the movies, certainly. 
and use that to drive sales and then turn around and diss on our transgender community. So what I love, what I quote unquote love most about this is actually the whole queer part of it didn't come out until after she's done with the whole fucking series. Yeah. So to me, it sounds more like she's doing it going, oh, well, now I can make maybe more, maybe another billion dollars by saying, mm. oh, well, Dumbledore was gay. You didn't know that? Well, here, you, didn't you know. know that? Here's more money. Give me more money. Yeah. And so. I'm I want to losing... believe the goodness in that, but it's just. I just. She's got the more she's I read a sour up about taste her, in my mouth. Yeah. The more I read up about her, I go, God, I don't. I'm. And the I books are fantastic, and I want to continue to love the books, but I but don't people don't buy them, buy them used, okay? Buy them used. Don't don't give her any more money on or that shit. or ask me, and I'll ship you one, and you pay for shipping. Yeah. I have one here. So anyway. yeah, no, that just when I read that, I go, I, I I wanted to bring that up at one point. It's like I so, but yeah. So but what, the thing I want to say about queer baiting is that being a little older than you, I do at least appreciate that they're trying to get that audience. Sure. There's the longest time gays didn't exist or so I do appreciate, and I've dealt with gear with, with queer baiting for years, dealt with it on the original Melrose place. They had a whole big thing where they set up and they're going to show, Oh, it was going to be, it was going to be the first gay kiss. And you didn't see the kiss. You saw the reaction of the best friend. Oh my God, my friend's gay. Yeah. Um, and they, and, or we, the one track episode we talked about, that was completely queer baiting. You know, oh, my gosh. Yeah. With you know, Piper so, and the, oh, gosh, what was that show, that episode now? I so, can't remember the name of it either. Uh, I should have looked it up. Season five, episode 19. Yeah. And it was, um. so there have been, for almost all my life, there has been queer baiting where deleting where. So there's part of me that enjoys the fact, even if it's a 30-second bit. Sure. But now I, we're in a world where we could do better and more yeah. of that. We should have been and doing do, that to begin with, but now we're yeah. in, and now we have so much context. We have more social media and more access to the internet and information yeah. that we can be more creative in this in this. Oh, area. and I completely agree. I'm just and I agree completely with what you're saying. I just I appreciate that we've gotten to that point where yes. where we can start saying this shit because before it's just you looked for anything that said, right. oh, thank you, you well, recognize, you know. Exactly. So, like, we've talked about shows uh, on here about that people have gone on to, like, bash now, you know, years later. And it's like, yeah, those shows were cutting edge at the time. Yeah. And now in context, it's like, yeah, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't produce that show now. No. But then that's what I could get away with because that's what people were willing to let me write and produce. Now we're in a world where we could do a little bit more of that. We could push the limits. We can explore yeah. these these characters and these conversations more holistically than we could have before. And you have these incremental stages. I feel like queer coding, queer queer baiting is just that next evolution yeah. of where are we going with this conversation? How can we be better? And using utilizing those terminologies in, in the meaning and in the context that they actually are and not using it to hate on people. Whether they're straight or gay or not, it doesn't matter utilize it properly and really ask the questions and look at it uh, with your own eyes and make your own judgment on it. No. And I do think we are at a point now where they do need to, they need to start just, it, it shouldn't, that shouldn't be the thing that they try to drive for you. So it should just be that because it's an amazing story or it's an amazing right. book. Or amazing that should be the reason song or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't have to be, 
because I'd love to see the fact that I would love to see, uh, I think Brokeback Mountain's the best example of this, a movie that there was no baiting, it was queer. Yeah. And it brought in, it brought in the heterosexuals in more than the, than the queer community to watch that movie. So that's what I would like to see is that we actually, it's not this, Ooh, you know, five minutes in, there's a gay kiss. You know, I would like to, I would like to see that just be able to be the movie. And that's what I'm hoping for. Agreed. Uh, Stick with us. We have revamped our queer corner and I love it. So I hope you enjoy it. See you soon. Welcome to Queer Corner. Corner, corner, corner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, so in our Queer Corner, we are now doing uh, some things a little bit different. Gary's going to either give us a review on a book, a movie, something in pop popular culture. And then I, I, Holly, I'm going to give you a hot take on queer news. So today, Gary's going to start us off with the popular culture. I am going to review a movie called Sacred Journeys. This movie is on Amazon Prime. Excellent. Well, it actually, it's a failed TV pilot that they're passing off as a movie that lasts a whole 48 minutes. I honestly, the reason I go, um, this will be a good one because I've, I've been fairly busy at work. Cool, I can, 45, 48 minutes, I'm good. I can watch this movie. That's where the, I went with it. And also because... Two, the two stars of this are Mackenzie Phillips and Glenn Scarpelli. They're both from the original cast of One Day at a Time, which ran from December 16th, 1935 to May 28th, 1984. And so it made me, I, you know, I, I wanted to watch this, just a, a lot of nostalgia going on for me. So in Sacred Journeys, Scarpelli is introduced as the character Marcos, who, to put it nicely, is not living his best life. He works for a tour company that gives Vortex tours. Do you know what a Vortex tour is, Holly? I had no fucking (laughs) idea what a Vortex tour was. Did you look it up? I had to look it up. Okay, what is it? Vortex Vortex? tours (laughs) supposedly take you to places that help you heal your body and show you how to connect to Mother Nature. Yeah, Yeah, so anyway. Marco's life is fucked up. Okay. Ah, so I don't know. I mean, this um, sounds kind of fun. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Next, we meet the mother-son duo of Tiff, played by Mackenzie Phillips, and Luke, her son, played by Matthew Costo. They, they're visiting Sedona where this takes place, where this quote-unquote movie takes place. <laughs> and then very quickly realize, obviously, there's something going on with Luke because they are there for Luke to go on the Vortex tours, to do some healing yoga. And we find out he has to take medicine. The mother is a bit hippy-dippy in this. And by the way, they're taking this Vortex tour. Guess who is in charge of Tiff and Luke's tour? Arcos. Okay. Very quickly, you determine Marcos and Tiff have a past. What could that past be? But before we find out that, we meet Tom, played by Stephen Wallum, who, if any of you ever saw the series Nurse Jackie, he played a nurse on the show named Thor, and he was amazing in that. Okay, so recommend watching <laughs> Nurse Jackie. 
a person who seems to have his life together and likes Marcos, the guy who's fucked up. Marcos won't date Tom because Marcos' life is fucked up. Marcos and Tiff run into each other. Yeah, I know. I was shocked, too, who saw this one coming. <laughs> Long story short, you find out that Tiff and Marcos used to be best friends and had a one-night fling that resulted in Luke. No. Marcos couldn't handle having a kid. Oh, wait, that's coming up. You have no idea. Marcos (laughs) could not handle having a kid because he was still trying to figure out how to be gay. Okay. We find this out while Marcos and Tiff are reconnecting at Marcos's house, which looks like it belongs in an episode of Hoarders. Garbage is everywhere. Boxes aren't. They're un, they're still unpacked. Mm, no, thank All you. All the stuff's going on. That would stress he's, me out. He's oh, it gets worse than the Holly. He's lived there for five years in this yeah, house. Yeah, okay. Can't. So we find out Luke has cancer. We find out that Tiff blames herself. This is all found out in this dirty house that I have a hard time remembering what was being said because all this shit around him. Oh my gosh. <laughs> We find out that Tiff blames herself for Luke getting cancer because she told Luke his father had died of cancer. So it's karmic justice that her son now has cancer. Have I said cancer enough in this? No, <laughs> I think you need to say it like four more times. Cancer, 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 cancer. Okay. Oh, yeah. And we also find out that she has finally, after years, realized that she is a lesbian. <laughs> so this meeting ends in Marcos's house by Tiff telling Marcos that he needs to meet his son and his, and his life is shit. And she tells him that it's his responsibility to tell his son that he is his father. Even though Tiff told the original lie. After a meetup that ends in Marcos chickening out and not telling Luke that he is the father, Tiff and Marcos decide that Marcos will make a nice Italian dinner for the three of them. And that is when Marcos will tell Luke that his father is not dead. Oh my gosh. I don't want to see this. I don't want to see the pilot. (laughs) I never want to hear it mentioned again. Wait, wait, okay. So now with everything else going on, this is when Marcos decides it's time it's the right time to ask tom in a first date to have him come meet his quote-unquote family at the family dinner oh great perfect timing so very first date this is all going on too this is in one episode this is in one episode we're not oh my god people too much (laughs) so family dinner happens and marcos in about 48 hours, and I'm giving him a lot of leeway here. I think it was less than that. 48 hours has completely cleaned his house and put in new furniture. No. no. Carpets, everything are spotless now. Okay. No, that I call BS. You ever try to clean a house? I know. I know. I'm looking at this going, what the hell? I could have accepted the kitchen maybe being clean, but the entire house is spotless. The entire house? No. Like, what? Did you have a crew on standby? I I know. So, no. So 
So the BS. family dinner happens. Marcus tells Luke in a Darth Vader voice. Uh-uh. Uh-huh. Oh my God. He so is bad. his father. You know, that line only works if the show is good. And that one is bad. <laughs> oh, it's so good. So good. Oh, it's so, terrible. And then, so Luke has this, what? I've heard that joke before. No, I really am your father. And it basically takes him 30 seconds to digest all this new information and to forgive his mom for lying to him for all these years. What? Lucas is 15. So 15 years of life. Do you not know a 15-year-old also? Do you not know, know. a hoarder? Because that is, first of all, hoarding is a <laughs> is generally speaking a mental condition that that requires treatment and help and support. Not something you could just do in less than two days. Yeah, and not because this person you knew 15 years ago. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah. Oh um, my gosh. Reality so, is not okay, existing then, for these more, people. More, more, no, Barry, I got it. No more, no more. Okay. It's over. The show has <laughs> ended. We're rolling the credits. This is terrible. If only. Okay. So takes the 30 seconds, you know, gets the fact, you know, he's, for, he's okay with everything. Next, Tom shows up and they all have dinner. Musical montage. Them all laughing and getting along. and Everything's beautiful. Marcos. No. Marcos realizes that he has finally found his purpose in, in life. And he realizes that all four of them, including the guy on the first date, that they are a family. Oh, my. Okay, so. Oh, my Lanta. <laughs> so it ends uh, with Tiff and I Luke. I think we're going to have to have you just only do good shows. Okay, so it ends with Tiff and Luke leaving the next day to go back to L.A. And Marco's telling them that he will do whatever it takes to make sure that they all remain a family. Whatever they want, he will do. If that means that he moves to L.A., he will do that. If that means they stay here, he will make sure that they're, that they're all part of their lives. He's including Tom on this first date in this whole scenario. Oh, my God. Okay. That's how, the, that's how this movie ends. From beginning to end... This is 48 minutes. No. This is including I opening so and closing credits. I am so sorry you spent credits. 42 minutes watching <laughs> this. It's a very earnest take, but in the end, I understand why it wasn't picked up to go to series. You could tell everybody in this tried hard. They just, if they you wanted us to it. go to series, you should have taken 45 to 65% of that shit out. <laughs> And so they forced way too much stuff in there. They really This did. is directed by a, a gentleman named Tracy Boyd. Who this is the first main directing thing he did. So, you know, props for that. Yeah, Mainly sure. known for being a second unit director. I think for what he had to work with, I think he did a good job directing. Sure. And you got to get and your I legs hope, underneath you and try. Yeah. I get it. And I hope we get to see him do some other projects. Where I love some of the stuff they did. This is written by Michael Colucci. It sounds like it would have been this would have this sounds like it would have been a really good like summary paragraph of a 3 year season. Well, so here's so it's written by Michael Colucci. He's only written one other thing and it was a short ironic enough. Um my hunch is this was supposed to be a movie 
and would have given much more time to the characters instead of making you feel rushed. I think if yeah. it's been a two-hour movie, they could have accomplished a lot more. A lot more. Absolutely. I will say, and I didn't catch who the cinematographer was, it was filmed beautifully. The soundtrack fit with what they were doing. Um, so what they were trying to accomplish, they did. Well, by no means, this is a movie I would watch again. I, I would watch it, period. <laughs> I have to give everyone credit for trying to make magic out of this. Sure. They just didn't, they just didn't, it did, sure. it did not gel right. And you've got to start somewhere. And sometimes yeah. you, and I, I am a true believer. Of try, you try and fail, try and fail, try and fail till you succeed. Like, and, and again, just so made, this, is, this can very yeah. well be that example. I just will not be a part of that experience. Yeah. Again, second it. journeys it's from 2016. I wouldn't watch it. I literally, I paused it for a minute to see how much longer I had. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate it seemed you like taking a hit for the rest of us. Yeah, so I wouldn't and watch I, it. And I hope they tried yeah. to pick it up and do something different with it. Uh, I hope not, honestly. I think it was, anyway. So, <laughs> Second Journeys. I would not watch it. That'd be a big queer no. Queer no. <laughs> queer no. <laughs> a queer no drum. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> queer no drum. <laughs> Okay, and Holly, oh my yes, gosh. yes, everything you ever wanted to know about LBGTQ news, but you were afraid to ask. You know, I just love this. We're going to start out with the UN has called for the release of Ghana LBGT activists. So, this is uh, as of January, sorry, June 4th. So, a few days ago, uh, by the time you guys get this, uh, this episode. So uh, UN human rights experts have called for the release of 21 lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and gender diverse activists that were detained last month. The LBGT rights defenders are were arrested two weeks ago while attending a conference in southeastern Ghana and were detained on charges of unlawful assembly. Uh, this goes in along with Jordan and several other places right now during our wonderful Pride Month where we're seeing a lot of hate and discrimination and, and just destruction of queer people. And I just, Ghana is no different, right? We the, These are things that we need to talk about. We need to highlight that. I'm um, sorry to hear that this is happening. I'm hoping by the next time we, we do an episode, we'll get some more information on that. We'll keep you updated, though, as it unfolds. For a lovely, fun Pride Month thing, I love this. Gay couple in Wisconsin bypasses the flag rules in their... Oh, yeah. Ah, right! Uh, in their... In their uh, what, uh, what do you call that? Home association, homeowners association. So for those of you not in the United States, homeowners association is this organization that basically has a, a set of rules that the whole community follows. And it's, it's not law, but it's like a contract to say, Hey, I'm going to live in this neighborhood on this street. And these are the rules. And it generally is like how you keep up your lawn, the things you can put up in your window on your know, flags that you can fly, how loud you can play your music, things like that. So this this particular organization has a, a a contract that says you can't put out any sort of political or uh, flagging of any kind. And this couple had put out a pride flag and were told to take it down. So they went through their contract and nowhere in the contract did it say they couldn't have colorful lights lighting up their outside of their house from their yard. So they went out and got red 
orange, yellow, green, blue, purple lights and position them all throughout the front of their yard. And so at night, their giant ass house is a giant pride flag. And I love it. So Mimo Francinto, 35, and his husband Lance Mir, 36, were told to remove their pride flag from their porch after the new rules were introduced to their neighborhood. So this was a new thing that was that was added. And so they're like, nope, we're going to go ahead and let our flag fly. And they lit that sucker up. Love it. You can check out more at bbc.com slash news. Uh, this is, I believe, in Canada. So yes. uh, fantastic. So yeah, this one is uh, reported out of Canada, but it's Wisconsin. All right. So if you recall from previous episode that we've done on Colton Underwood Bachelor, yes, we're bringing that conversation back. Uh, coming up in Seattle, Washington, Pride Month, we're going to have Amazon Live hosting its first ever Pride Festival. This will be taking place on June 10th and June 11th. So Friday and Saturday, uh, this, uh, this episode is being recorded just prior to that. So by the time you hear it, I want to see you guys chatting me up in the social media realm because I want to hear what you guys take on this. Uh, so basically, we have uh, Grayson Chance and former Bachelor star Colton Underwood will be streaming live to discuss how they show their pride and they'll answer fan questions and share their top pride picks across fashion, beauty, books, and movies. I'm I'm pretty excited. Movies. To f- movies. Of course you are, right? So the lineup right now on Come June on. 10th is, is Grayson Chance. He'll be performing from his upcoming EP trophy release releasing on June 25th. Gosh, woof, say that's a mouthful. Uh, then we have Joe Dury. Then we have the Pride House LA. And then on Saturday, we have Colton Underwood, Jake Warden, and Olga Von Light. I'm this is it sounds like a very interesting lineup. I will be definitely checking this out myself and connecting with you guys on social media to get your input on it. And then the last thing I wanted to just kind of a little nugget of beauty. There is a beautiful touching video on usatoday.com under the story life humankind category. Touching video shows son coming out to coming out as gay to Mormon dad. This young man, Austin, is about to go out on his first mission trip with the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. And he had this huge guilt weighing on him. And he didn't feel like he could go out and do his mission without first telling his dad he is gay. And it is beautiful. I love the story. Father, son, having a conversation. And the dad's genuine response was beautiful. It's like, you're still the son of God. I love you. It's great. Check it out on usatoday.com. The title of that story, again, is Touching Video Show Son Comes Out as Gay to Mormon Dad. Uh, Austin Swink, we love you. I'm so glad that you were able to have that conversation with your dad and that you shared it with the rest of us. So thank you, thank you, thank you so, so much. And that is our show. Thank you so much for listening to us and supporting us. If you get a chance, go ahead and hit that like, subscribe, and leave a comment about us so that other people can find and enjoy the show as well. Until next time, be well. And be queer, you wonderful fuckers. Thank you for connecting with us on this week's Conundrum. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at 
Queernundrum podcast. And email us at queernundrum at queernundrum.com. And please rate and review us on iTunes. Until then, peace and be well. And be queer.